Coming up on Crossing the Lane Lines. Part of the catalyst is seeing people in that space. So I have a, I do have a, a few colleagues that are um, in that space. Um, and introducing them to them first and foremost, um, we, we, we have a, um, a career component where we bring um, experts out in their field uh, to talk about what they do. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, one of, the, one of the things that, you know, you see the bright eyes um, are when they met the underwater photographers. You know, they're traveling to all these exotic places, taking all these gorgeous pictures, and the young ladies are like, uh, you get paid to do that? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> very well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so just seeing that, you know, it's, it's it's about, you know, exploring them, having them explore opportunities and pathways that they never even knew existed. In 2013, a group of women who were attending the Black Scuba Divers Association's annual summit got together to discuss the lack of representation of African-American women in the diving world, marine sciences, oceanographic studies, and scientific diving. What was born from this conversation was the creation of the most comprehensive program challenging the narrative of blacks in aquatics, and in particular, black girls and women in diving. We'll speak to Dr. Nevada Winrow, the co-founder a Black Girls Dive Foundation about the origins, mission, and the success of this amazing organization. All that more coming up. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. In 2013, while at the National Association of Black Scuba Divers Association Annual Summit, a group of women got together to discuss the lack of representation of African-American women in the diving world, marine sciences, oceanographic studies, and scientific diving. It came down to two common themes, hair and negative cultural narratives about swimming. They thought, We can address the hair fear issue, that's easy. The challenge would be changing the narrative. From these discussions came the seeds to found Black Girls Dive. The organization's mission addresses three critical issues. First, the racial and socioeconomic achievement gap that undermines our ideals of freedom, equality, and opportunity. Second, limited or restricted sense of youth agency and voice. And third, cultivating the next generation of scientists, conservationists, and planetary stewards. Joining us to talk more about the Black Girls Dive Foundation is one of its co-founders, Dr. Nevada Winrow. Dr. Winrow is a Johns Hopkins School of Medicine trained pediatric neuropsychologist and has served as a clinical practitioner and a professor and administrator in higher education for over a decade in roles as dean, provost, and senior executive vice president. She has served as a board of trustee of two HBCUs and served as a member of the Fulbright Scholars Review Board and the Board of Examiners for Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award, our nation's highest honor that is bestowed by the President of the United States. 
Dr. Winrow is a Patty Master Scuba Diver, an associate member of the Women's Diving Hall of Fame, and the American Academy of Underwater Sciences. She currently serves as the National Chairwoman of the Youth Programs for the National Association of Black Scuba Divers. Dr. Nevada Winrow, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Dr. Winrow, we have a lot to talk about concerning Black Girls Dive Foundation. But before we do anything, I'm wondering if you could give our listeners some background history on how you first got into swimming. Oh, I was swimming uh, actually before I could, could walk. So I was at the Y with my mom as an infant. Um, so it's, I've been swimming all my life. So it was second nature. Um, you know, people joke, you know, they said, you know, I'm a Pisces. So it was like I was destined just to, you know, hang in the water. You know, that, that is my safe space is being in water. So it's I've, I've been in water since I could crawl. I briefly talked about the origins of Black Girls Dive in my introduction, but I'm wondering if you could give us a little more information on how this amazing community came about. Um, it's just looking at doing, doing an environmental scan and, and trying to identify, you know, where the gaps were. Um, I did notice a pattern, or not even a pattern, it's just non-existence of or, or limited number of black women or women of color in the marine science space. And, you know, I try to come up with some possible explanations. And what I came up with is, you know, once again, false narratives or, 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 or incorrect assumptions. Um, there is a false assumption that you need to be in water or that you may need to be able to swim to go in the marine sciences, and that's not true. Um, there is space. Um, that does, you know, certain fields within the marine sciences does require uh, that you um, have some diving um, experience, but not not all. Um, so I thought maybe that's part of the reason why we're not seeing a lot of women of color is because of that false that false assumption. So from that, I guess it, it's from that space that I came up with um, developing the streams program that gives young ladies an opportunity to explore their STEM identities in the aquatic space. As you and I both know, factors like hair, finances, access, generational trauma, and discrimination have all played a large part in keeping our people from learning to swim. But given the equipment, the time, and resources that are required to learn to dive, the task of teaching black people swimming seems basically small in comparison. Can you talk about how you all have motivated young black girls and women to take the plunge into diving? Um, I think part of the, um, part of the catalyst is seeing people in that space. So I have, a, I do have a, a few colleagues that are um, in that space um, and introducing them to them first and foremost, um, we, we, we have a, um, a career component where we bring um, experts out in their field uh, to talk about what they do. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, one of, the, one of the things that, you know, you see the bright eyes um, are 
when they met the underwater photographers. You know, they're traveling to all these exotic places, taking all these gorgeous pictures. And the young ladies are like, uh, you get paid to do that? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Very well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so just seeing that, you know, it's, it's it's about, you know, exploring them, having them explore opportunities and pathways that they never even knew existed. So I think, you know, looking looking at those wow um moments, those wow factors what people are doing in their in their everyday jobs. Um you know, it was just amazing to them. They never thought about it. So it just made them want to learn more and more about it. Representation matters. Often when black people who were fortunate enough to learn to swim, they were often taught by someone who was white, thus reinforcing the notion that the only ones who can teach us don't look like us. I mean, basically, if you can't see it, you can't be it. That's where that point of representation comes from. What is the makeup of the instructors and mentors in Black Girls Dive? And how crucial is representation, especially when we're talking about diving? They're all um, people of color. Mm. All, all my dive instructors, um, you know, they're, 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 they're being trained by individuals that look like them. All of them. Can you can you expound on that a little bit? Um, and the impact of of it. Well, the impact is you know they're 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 saying okay so this person looks like my mom or looks like my dad they're teaching me you know these skills um, that I never thought you know I would ever see myself you know engaged in. Um, so for for me, when I select um, my dive team, it's about shared experiences. Um, understand, and let me just share an example with you. One of my dive instructors, when he was first learning how to uh, scuba dive, he, he had a white instructor, and a white, and he had, and he had a difficult time doing a couple of things. Um, but the white dive instructor attributed to him being black. He said, "Well, you know, black people uh, sink. They don't. They, um, they. I'm sorry, black people just float. They they don't sink well. And that has nothing to do with how much melanin. Because I don't want to use the term race because it's a social construct. But you know, at the end of the day, he was trying to make a correlation. Is basically there's a correlation between the amount of melanin in your skin and your buoyancy, which is totally false." But that was his experience. You know, thank God, goodness he had the, the mental fortitude and persistence to push on and to kind of brush that off. But it makes you think how many other people were not able to brush something like that off. So I always like to use that example of what can happen where you have someone that's, quite frankly, just ignorant to even make a statement like that. And he thought he was, he thought he was stating scientific facts. Um, but clearly there's, there's no factual evidence of anything like that. Um, so for them to have an instructor um, who looks like them, seeing that they have the knowledge, skills, abilities, and, and disposition to excel in this space, um, I think is key. <laughs> Thank you.
in his seminal work, Undercurrents of Power, Aquatic Culture in the African Diaspora, Dr. Kevin Dawson wrote about how from 1440 to roughly 1885, black people ruled the sea. They were the best swimmers, canoe builders, and canoeists, as well as the best freedivers. Likewise, most African children were learning to swim by three months and quite proficient by the time that they were five or six years old. Yet these facts are not known to the general public, much less the black community. How important is it that these young girls and women know about our rich aquatic history that dates back hundreds of years, in particular, how your Institute for STEM Equity addresses this? Well, the, well, the Institute of STEM Equity is a research branch. Um, the program that's um, putting them in this aquatic space is the streams program. Um, so they learn about history, the history of diving, our, our space in swimming, um, even through their capstones that they have to do. is all cultural. Um, there's a cultural component in all of our capstones. So what our capstones are, at the end of every year, students go on a special capstone expedition um, where they are integrating everything they learn throughout the year, and then they're also learning about the location in which they they are in. So, for instance, when we took the young ladies to dive um, in Egypt, to dive the Red Sea, um, you know, a huge cultural component. So they took Arabic for the first year before they went, um, you know, they visited the uh, Queens of Egypt Museum, just to, you know, look, looking at, at us in our space, you know, we, we were kings and queens. So they had opportunity to do that. They visited the pyramids. Um, you know, they, they learned about um, the Muslim culture. Um, and then, of course, they had a chance to even look at biodiversity in another body of water that looks the marine life in the Red Sea is very different than the marine life of the Caribbean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. So we we integrate culture and history with everything that we do. Dr. Winrow, with your permission, I'd like to return to something I spoke about in my introduction. Black Girls Die Foundation addresses three critical issues, and I'd like to read out these issues and get your thoughts on them. First, the racial and socioeconomic achievement gap that undermines our ideals of freedom, equality, and opportunity. The second is limited or restricted sense of youth agency and voice. And third, cultivating the next generation of scientists, conservationists, and planetary stewards. Can you talk about these three issues, these critical issues in more detail, please. So I'll start with the agency um, where in the teenage years, particularly for young ladies, they begin to lose their voice. Um, and it's part of our program is, is about building confidence in them um, so they can have agency, that they know that they can make decisions for themselves. If they have the right information, they can make an informed decision. So we're, that, that, that is a critical component um, of our program, um, the factors related to socioeconomic and academic um, um, education, you know, these things that, that allow us to be free, 
um, when you provide them with a rigorous curriculum um, and you provide them with the tools for success, um, having them understand what those tools look like, what those pathways are, you know, for lack of a better word, it kind of it breaks the shackles. It breaks the bondage that you think that you can only be one thing. You can only do. You can only be a basketball star. You can only be a rapper. That's for me. That's it's it's an option. But to really have them thinking freely, um, you have to expose them to know. Like I said, when these young ladies saw these underwater photographers, they had no idea that that existed as a successful occupation. So it, it frees them up to consider to consider other things. And we all know in terms of um, creating the next generation of planetary stewards, it has to start with you. Because by the time, you know, you get older, um, they don't embody certain ideals uh, as much as you learn something when you're when you're young. When you learn to value things at a younger age, it's much more embedded. Um, so when it's time for you to lead, you've been exposed to um, these 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 key tenets, and therefore you're you're able to to steward, um, you know, the next generation. And because of how, because of the foundation that you were brought in on, if that makes any sense. Swimming is not only a valuable life skill, but also opens up a world of opportunities of employment and scientific exploration, such as working as a marine biologist, working as a videographer, underwater videographer, or working as an underwater photographer. Can you talk about Black Girls Dive's stream program? and what it's all about, and how it can be a venue to exploring educational and employment chances for those who are a part of your organization. Sure. So it's a very robust program. So we're not just doing scuba diving. Scuba diving is just a vehicle. So these young ladies are taking courses in coral reef ecology. They're taking classes in underwater photography, underwater videography. They're taking classes in 3D printing. Um, they're taking classes in uh, underwater remote-operated vehicles, as well as drone uh, operation. When they become 16, they will have the knowledge and skills to actually sit for the FAA commercial drone pilot license. Um, so my instructors, including myself, are all pilots. Um, we provide them that instruction, and then, again, representation. So they're seeing uh, pilots that look like them. Um, that's providing them that skill set. Um, so we have a lot of STEM and what I like to call STEM-adjacent uh, opportunities that will yield a robust, robust opportunities for employment. So let's say if they don't want to be a marine scientist, there are other options like a uh, underwater welder um, um, engaged in um, underwater construction. Um, even those individuals who take care of and clean boats, you need you need dive gear to to, to go under the boat and clean the barnacles and so forth um, off the water. So we we try to keep it as robust as possible because not everyone wants to be a scientist, 
but there are still jobs out there that require you to have some type of science background. So that's why I call it STEM-adjacent um, activities um, that will allow them to, you know, pursue other avenues. So we try to keep um, – so, yeah, they, they have a very robust curriculum, even with the 3D printing. Um, you know, we use the 3D printing uh, for corals. We're, we're, they'll be learning how to uh, manufacture artificial coral plant those in the ocean um, to kind of help with the total decimation of our coral reefs. Um, they could uh, take that skill and, you know, go into, you know, CAD design um, or 3D uh, drawing. Um, even with the drones, even at 16, they can actually have a job um, doing uh, photography and videography for, for instance, for agriculture. You know, there there are um, you know a lot of land out here that uh, that's agricultural zone for agriculture that they need to constantly um, monitor and take photographs of. It's like that is a job. That is a very lucrative um, um, occupation. So we're, we're we're setting them up to make to have a, an abundance of choices. You currently have chapters in Maryland. New Jersey and Atlanta. Are there plans to expand further in the uh, coming years? Yes, yes. We actually have a plan to put uh, a chapter in the aquariums, the big, the big aquariums around uh, the country. Matter of fact, we just uh, applied for a National Science Foundation grant that would potentially put Black Girls Dive Foundation at the uh, Seattle Aquarium, the Scripps Aquarium, and um, Walt Disney. So we are we are definitely looking at expansion. Our our latest addition uh, is the St. Francis Academy, which has a very unique background. This is the only um, Black uh, Order of Nuns. The uh, Oblate Sisters of Providence hmm. are the only uh, Black nun order in Baltimore. Um, that school was originally uh, founded. It was called the School for Colored Girls, you know, back in the 1800s, um, whose mission was to educate black black girls. So, I, you know, I thought that would be befitting to have a chapter there, given their history and their mission. Um, so that's our newest uh, chapter, St. Francis Academy. So we have two schools now um, that have chapters of Black Girls Die. The other is Sprout U School of the Arts in Trenton, New Jersey. Finally, if people want to find out more about your organization and hopefully support your efforts, where can they go to find out more? Oh, they can go on our website at blackgirlsdivefoundation.org, or they can follow us on Twitter at Black Girls Dive or on Facebook. And we are going to have to leave it there. Our guest today has been Dr. Nevada Winrow, the co-founder of Black Girls Dive Foundation, the organization's mission addresses three critical issues. First, the racial and socioeconomic achievement gap that undermines our ideals of freedom, equality, and opportunity. Second, limited or restricted sense of youth agency and voice. And third, cultivating the next generation of scientists, conservationists, and planetary stewards. Dr. Winrow is a Patty Master Scuba Diver and Associate Member of the Women's Diving Hall of Fame and the American Academy of Underwater Sciences. 
She currently serves as the National Chairwoman of the Youth Programs for the National Association of Black Scuba Divers. Dr. Nevada Winrow, we wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our country. And thank you so much for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much for having me. We hope maybe we can get you to come out and we can give you a Discovery Scuba experience. I'd be honored to do that. <laughs> Moments after I concluded editing this episode, a jury in the sensational trial of three men who were accused of lynching Ahmad Arbery while he was jogging along the road were found guilty. Much like the Chauvin verdict earlier this year, there has been widespread cheers. But we here at the Black Swim Collective once again feel a profound sense of sadness. True, a jury of 11 white people and one black juror seemed to focus on the facts of the case. True, the prosecutor took this case seriously and pushed hard for a conviction. And, once again, video evidence, this time by one of the defendants, proved damaging. But Ahmed Arbery is no longer with us because three men were upset that this man was jogging through their neighborhood. They were astonished when he refused to stop and speak to them after they demanded that he do so. They chased him down, shot him, and ended his precious life at 25, all because they felt they could. What happened to Ahmed Arbery is not new. He's not the first to die at the hands of white supremacists. He's not the first to be lynched by those who can't stomach the fact that we are no longer in bondage and can't be told what to do, where to go, and how to live. He is not the first to have a defense team try and paint him as the perpetrator rather than the victim. No, he's not the first. But God damn it. I hoped and prayed that he'd be the last. So, we go forward. We go forward because going back, at least for those of us who are black and brown, is not up for a discussion. And I hope and pray that our white allies, like those 11 white jurors in Georgia, feel the same way. Rest in power, Ahmed Arbery. Amen. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter 
until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines. Signing off.